is possible to read that we have become slaves to God back in Romans 6.22 to mean that uh, we are still bound to the law then. We're still obligated to obey it in order to be righteous before God. Maybe even more so. We have more of a responsibility now to obey the law of God because we have Jesus. And so certainly that would mean now that we can. Or this is how we think maybe. But this isn't what it means to be God's slave. These verses are actually the conclusion of the argument in chapter 6. In the first um, few verses of chapter 7 this morning, Paul restates this change of lordship that has happened to us. He does it one more time. And the way he does it here sets us up perfectly for the rest of the chapter, God willing, next week and the everyday experience of believers. And in some of the most um, severe cases of domestic abuse, the abuse spouse will develop something, probably most of you have heard of it, called Stockholm Syndrome. This is a psychological condition that occurs when a victim of abuse identifies and attaches or bonds positively with their abuser, believe it or not. And so this is why often we'll hear people that have been abused say things like, no, 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 you, you don't understand. I know that he loves me or um, she means well or uh, he just loses control sometimes. I know that's not who he is or uh, it's my fault sometimes that I push her and I, I make her act that way, etc., etc. Clearly, abuse of, of a harsh master type literally hurts the brain, hurts us mentally to the point that you can't hardly convince someone they're being abused in the first place when it goes on for so long and sets in so deeply. And I wonder, of course, the correlation is not perfect because the law is holy and righteous and good, but I wonder if as Christians now joined to Christ, we still think like that about the law. In other words, we can't understand why being under the law was ever bad for us, not good. Why we don't realize that, that we weren't getting life and we won't ever get life or freedom from the law. It was killing us, condemning us, accusing us, exposing us as sinners. This is part of the reason why Paul later in Second Corinthians literally calls the law covenant the ministry of death. But it is almost impossible to convince believing Christians that the law as the means of righteousness before God. If that's the system, it will kill us. We'd rather stay in bondage than be free. It's like we just can't quit old husband law. We just don't see how we could survive without this taskmaster over us. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus for us. We've been set free to bear fruit for God rather than put back under a system that will only kill us. So let me pray and we'll dig into Romans 7 here. Father, I ask You for Your grace to preach this morning. I ask You, O oh God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit even though I am a jar of clay. Father, I ask that You would watch over those who hear this morning. And I ask You, God, by Your grace that You would enable everyone in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, to understand Your Word and why it matters and how it matters. For Christ is everything. 
And Lord, so might we remember that Your Son has regarded our helpless estate and has shed His own blood for our souls. And in His name we pray. Amen. Verse 1 of Romans 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So Paul is stating a principle that is apparently agreed upon by everyone. And what you hear him saying here, this is why he uses the language he's, he does about salvation in this section. He's uh, discussing it in terms of death and life and what master reigns over us. It is because by being baptized into the death of Jesus and freed from the kingdom of sin, we have died to the law as the means of our righteousness before God and no longer serve Him or try to as those who will be condemned for not serving well enough. When Paul uses that word or to open this next section, he's, he's telling you that he's sticking with basically the same argument in a different way. He's trying to convince those who are still believing they can become righteous enough for God by obeying the law that they no longer have any obligation to remain under the law in order to please God. So he's saying basically, let me give you another reason you should walk in newness of life. They all know how law works. That's why he's using the illustration. When two people are married, they're under the law of marriage. But of course, this law is only binding on a person as long as they're alive. If a spouse dies, the surviving person is no under the law of marriage. And he gives an illustration sort of here in verse Two, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So very common knowledge, right? If, if a, a woman's husband dies, she's no longer bound to him by marriage law. It doesn't mean... She, she stopped uh, loving him or caring for him or wishing that she could be with him, right? That, that's not what ends. But she's released from a relationship to her husband in which his will as the husband placed obligations on her. The relationship she had with her husband that was of a law nature has ended. She is now so free, in fact, that if she were to marry another man, she isn't in any way, shape, or form committing adultery. That relationship and all the legalities associated with it are dead. Okay, Paul now applies that illustration to believers in verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. This is another reason why it's so important to understand chapter 6 through 8 is one whole unit. It really began in 6 3 when Paul told us that to be baptized into Jesus Christ was to be baptized into his death. We died there with him to the extent that we were buried with him by baptism in verse 4. There is a sense in which we really died in our baptism, but to whom or what did we die? In chapter 6, we died to sin. Sin will no longer have dominion over us. But why is that? Why does sin now not have dominion controlling the destiny of a believer? Because in verse 14, we are not under the law, but under grace. In 1 Corinthians 15, 56, 
we read that the power of sin is the law. Sin and law, uh, as rulers, are used almost interchangeably in this section in Romans. What gives sin its teeth is that sinning is breaking God's laws. Right? That uh, gives sin all its power to condemn us. That's where it gets its teeth. But now Paul reveals that dying to sin means that we are also dead and have died to the law as an accuser that condemns us because we don't obey it perfectly, which is the only option. In Paul's illustration, both the human being, the sinner, and the law died. They both died. The sinner's death in Christ through baptism ends or kills the tyranny of what? The law over him or her. So specifically here, Paul is talking to the church as though we're a bride who was once married to another husband, a husband named Law. In the same way that the death of a husband ends marriage law, to the extent that a wife is free to marry another, we believers have died to the husband named Law through the body of Christ so that we would be married to Jesus, not so that we would be single. We have not died to the law so that we're lawless. And so now uh, we can just do whatever we want with no regard at all for what God commands. No, 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 no. But we have died to the law as a covenant relationship with God, as a system in which we're condemned when we disobey it. We are dead to the law as our means of righteousness before God, beloved. We do not look at the law like it has the power to make us in to what God has called us to be and requires of us. That marriage is over. And the one to whom we're joined now is the one that has been raised from the dead in verse 4 in order that we, believers, this new bride, may bear fruit for God. In this verse, the wife is released from obligation in her first marriage, the bad marriage, not by the husband's death, but by her own death, right? So she can only become wife to another if she is raised from the dead. And she is. We are in Christ who has been raised from the dead. Her husband, our husband. The illustration in verses 1 through 3 then cannot be applied to a sinner apart from their death and resurrection with Jesus in baptism, according to Romans 6. Beloved, we need to understand Paul here. Okay, The implication at the end of verse 4 is that being dead to the law means that now, now we can actually bear fruit for God because we're dead to the law. We are no longer under an obligation to produce our own righteousness. We now are only to bear the fruit of what God has put inside of us and done to us. If we were still under the law and if we keep trying to live under the law as Christians and mix them, we will not bear fruit for God. Before, when we were under the law, when we were married and obligated to it, as the Bible describes here, we couldn't and didn't bear fruit for God. So why do, why do we often think the Bible is wrong by thinking that to bear fruit for God is to obey the law? That's not what bearing fruit for God is. Why, why do we talk as though when a Christian isn't producing enough fruit as we would see it? Right? So whatever that means. Aren't Christians supposed to bear fruit? Yep. How much? I couldn't tell you. Right? But we, we evaluate each other. 
So why do we talk as though when a Christian isn't producing enough fruit, what they need is more law stacked up on them? We don't preach enough law. And that's why people are out of control. Right? Why do we believe against the Bible's clear teaching, though, that the law is able to produce the righteousness God requires? Why do we think that when the Bible tells us it cannot do that? What we need to realize about continuing to think that way is that if we're trying to follow the law and follow Jesus, we're committing adultery. Right? We're cheating on Jesus. Trying to produce our own righteousness that we want to produce and that we crave to produce when we're married to Christ for our righteousness. We're not free to marry another. We're married to Jesus. To keep serving the law as though we can become righteous or remain righteous before God by obeying it. He's like marrying another man while our husband is alive. We are not made righteous when we obey God's law, even though we're commanded to do so often. We were already made righteous by being buried and raised with Christ in baptism. Everything that needs to happen for me to be wedded to Christ is done. If I keep running around acting like he's not a, that I have to produce my own righteousness, I'm saying inadvertently, you are not a good husband. I don't know that you're going to provide for me. Can you imagine a husband that works his fingers to the bone? And I know it can go both ways. I'm just working in the sense of the metaphor. Okay, don't get offended, ladies, if you do the, the larger share of the work or something. That's not what I'm after. I'm simply saying, for the sake of the metaphor, imagine a husband works his fingers to the bone. He's, he's gone almost all the time, not because he's out partying with friends and being silly. He's working. And the wife, instead of enjoying what he does to provide for her, complains that he's not enough, doesn't do enough, is out carousing, wandering around on him. What, Beloved, this is what we do spiritually to Jesus when we refuse to believe that he has done enough to secure us. And it feels very pious because we're like, I'm, I'm, I actually care about whether or not I'm righteous. I un, that, uh, the impulse is good. I want to be pleasing to God. I want to be righteous. But, beloved, I am before God. Because of Christ. So we have to find a different way, a new way of thinking about the righteousness and the good works we do as believers. Yes, we are commanded to do them, but not as though if we don't, we're condemned. It's not that way for us. Our husband is a really good husband. How our relation, now our relationship with God is not determined by how obedient we are. Our relationship with God is determined 24-7 by the fact that Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection has betrothed me forever to himself. Now we bear the fruit of the marriage we're in. Paul's point now is to show us that we don't become more righteous before God by trying to keep the law. We will not be sanctified by the law. Instead, if we want to stop sinning, if we want to be obedient to God, if we want to quit letting sin reign in our mortal bodies and actually bear fruit for God that's befitting of being His Son's bride, we had better remain under grace and believe the Gospel more than anything else. Now Paul describes the change of lordship this 
marriage affects in us. In verse 5, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So when we were ruled by king sin, by the law, with sin uh, making us obey its passions, all that the law did then was increase our sin. We've been talking about this. When God's perfect law encounters the human will, it, it doesn't make us righteous. It reveals our true nature. And by nature, we're sinners. We're under the rule of sin, and the law does not have the power, was never given the power by God to set us free from its requirement. We break God's whole law. You say, there are tons of laws I've never broken. If you've broken one, the Bible says you are guilty of breaking all of them. There's no escape here. There's, there's nobody in this room that has any bigger claim to salvation than somebody else because they were a little more obedient. God doesn't even have a scale like that. Everybody's in one condemned lump. And then there's Jesus. Our sinful passions, because we're sinful by nature, they take the law and despise it so that everything we do destines us for death. Being born again through Jesus Christ into newness of life does not now suddenly mean, okay, now the law is powerful enough to make us righteous. And so we go back to the law to try to be righteous and bear fruit for God. I will prove that I am His by my righteousness. That's not bearing fruit. That's like running around showing everybody your finger. or your, your No, that didn't come out right. Not that finger. Your ring finger. Showing everybody your ring. Let's just move on. Okay, let's just move on. Oh boy. So, the, the law is always the law. Right? It's, it's always law. It doesn't become something else. All it does is reveal to us what God requires of it. It tells us in, in, in some way, not as much as Jesus does, what our Lord is like and what His will is for humanity. And so in that sense, it's so good and beautiful and wonderful, but it is a rule, it is a written code, a written code that must be obeyed in order for it not to destroy us. And if you break the whole thing by breaking one, do you understand what, what it would be like to, if you say, I'm going to relate to God through the law, through my obedience? What has changed is not the law. What has changed is what I am. Through Jesus Christ. Now I'm not living in the flesh under the demand of the law. Now I am alive to God in Jesus Christ in chapter 6 verse 11. So now when the law hits me rather than my sinful passions being aroused by it to keep disobeying God. I have this new life inside of me. A new passion from Jesus that makes me want to obey him. If I'm under that system, if I, if I feel that as a new command, that if I obey it, I'm in, and if I don't, I'm out, it's, it's like I'm telling Jesus, you are not a sufficient husband. I need to find another man who provides what you don't, but I'd like to keep you because you do some good things too. Right? The, the, 
The difference is that now God's law is not my condemnation anymore. It, it doesn't have that power over me anymore. Now it's the revelation of the kind of life my good and gracious husband wants me to have and live in for all the parts of it that would apply. He has made all the provision for his spouse to have a good life. Beloved, the passion in us to obey him now is not that our flesh has changed. That's not where that's coming from. We, we don't have a different flesh. We have the same flesh and alien righteousness has invaded it, thank God, and taken over. The passion in us to obey him. So in other words, don't trust your will. Trust his grace in Jesus Christ. That's where the new impulse is coming from. You are not now in a position that you could obey God's whole law perfectly. In Christ, it's counted to you as though you have. So now it's all icing. right? It's all this gift we have to bear fruit for God. Verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Two mutually exclusive ways, beloved. They don't mix, they don't mingle, and if they do, it's spiritual adultery. Everything Paul has said has been to get us to verse 6. In this chapter, right? But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You cannot mix law and gospel. You cannot mix law and gospel. You cannot serve God by serving two masters. The law only wants our death, and it holds us captive until it gets its claim over us. To thank God for dying to Christ in baptism, right? But when we were buried with Jesus in baptism, we died to the law as our captor because of sin. The claim the law rightfully, righteously had on me for my missing righteousness and my committed transgressions is paid and settled. The result is not now go back to the law and try again to please God by obeying it. The law has no claim on us to determine whether we're saved. It can no longer maintain that we should die for our sins. It no longer decides if we can be God's children or not. The law does not produce people who are righteous enough to stand before God. However, Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, does. Under the dominion of the law, while in our flesh, we were under an obligation to serve our Creator that none of us was meeting. We were condemned under those terms because the old way of the written code is just that. Obey, you live. Disobey, you die. In that relationship, the law is our captor. It's an abusive husband, for the sake of the metaphor, that had our minds imprisoned And all we could offer up to God when we were held captive to and married by the law was our disobedience and our shame and our insecurity and our confusion and our despair and even the good things we would manage to do were tainted by our flesh and were not the righteousness God actually requires anyway. But in Jesus Christ, God released us from the law. It died to us. We are free from husband law so that... 
we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Now, we don't walk under the abuse and oppression of a written code. We are free. So be wary of people that make more rules for you. Since we're free, we may now walk by the Spirit. That means God gives the believer His Spirit to seal and guide and keep and illuminate our path so that we remain in Him. Being righteous before God, maintaining our standing with Him, preserving, persevering by faith to the end, will not, cannot be achieved by dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's and living in constant fear and anxiety as to whether or not that's what you're doing. Our righteousness before God, our standing with Him, our preservation to the end, perseverance to the end, will be achieved by the power of God's Holy Spirit in us. By God's gift to us. He will keep us on the path, beloved. Serving God in the new way of the Spirit, rather than in the old way of the written code, means to serve as a free person who is not condemned by his disobedience. That's what it is to be a slave to God rather than to the law. The divine will of God revealed in the new way of the Spirit gives life and righteousness as a gift, not as a demand to be fulfilled or you're out. The weight of trying to keep the law for righteousness no longer weighs us down and arouses our sinful passions. Now that we're alive in the Spirit, He makes us bear fruit for God that is pleasing to Him. It isn't true in the world that every widow gets remarried, is it? And it's certainly her prerogative. But those who have been baptized into Christ, they do get remarried. They do become His bride. We do come under His Lordship as a part of the church. The difference is, is that He won't hurt us. He won't abuse us. He won't condemn us. He won't belittle us. He won't make us afraid. He won't make us think that we're trash. We, the ransomed, are a wife betrothed to a new and better husband. And this verse here, verse 6, is really the launching pad for the discussion of struggling in hope as those who are simultaneously, therefore, saint and sinner, which we'll get into next week. So it's tempting very tempting to put ourselves back under the law. Just as it would be um, kind of in life, the different times I've I've encountered, uh, it's usually the wife, not not always, but it usually is, uh, that's being abused. There's a fear there that if this comes out, that it's going to ruin my life as the wife, right? Like who, I won't have anything. I I won't, he... uh, Maybe it's a situation where he makes all the money, and so what, what am I going to do? And so there's, there's fear, right? So we, we can end up feeling much more secure under a husband who will abuse us. Because even though we are bringing it back, sorry, to, for Christians, it's tempting to, to, to want to remain under the law as the way of relating to God, believe it or not. We feel much more secure there. 
Because then my righteousness, I can see it and check it off. That's, I know that I'm with God because I can look at my, I've, I've done this and I've done that. So even though I can't meet its demands, at least I have the control. At least I'm control of something. At least I'm calling the shots somewhere. It's on me. Right? But if, if we have to let go in this desire to be righteous and justified before God, if we have to let go and trust somebody else, if we have to receive the merits of another on our behalf and let go of this desire to make ourselves righteous, if our salvation and freedom are a matter of somebody else's work, how can I rely on them? What if he doesn't come through? What if the new husband is as bad as the old one? What if the new husband is stronger than the old one? Won't he hurt me more? Are we really safe under grace? Will, we, will everything really be okay if it's all on him and it's not on me? I mean, Tony, the law means well. I, I really think it loves me. Tony, you just don't understand. For me, I need something more than just grace in order to stay on the straight and narrow. Just telling me that, that God's grace is sufficient and Jesus is sufficient and I don't need anything else. That, that Maybe other people are spiritual enough for that, but not me. My impulses are too powerful. I need a safeguard of some kind or I will get myself into trouble and lose all of this. Child of God. Who is your husband? What's he like? What does he do? What has he said to you? Has he written any letters to you? Can Jesus not keep us safe? Has his forgiveness not washed away all our guilt? Do you not possess all his righteousness before God? You're the exception and the Bible doesn't apply to you. Even though in the flesh you still struggle with sin, can his spirit not keep you on the path? You, you're the one that, that, that bucks the, the system. You're the one that makes God say, well, for Pete's sake. Is his yoke not easy? Is his burden not light? Did he lie? That's the question that settles the matter of assurance. Don't ask anything else. Nothing else. Does he lie? No. No. I don't know if I have enough faith. And I know I don't have enough works. But I know I have a Savior. And that doesn't make me want to go out and live like trash. It makes me hate when I live like trash. Because my husband is perfect. And he loves me despite all the evidence to the contrary that I've given him at least ten times a day on a good day to leave and bail and say, forget it. My love for you means nothing to you. And if you won't accept my love, I'm just going to let you go. He's not like that. 
the best husband on this earth. And I know he's out there somewhere, but he's not in your pulpit. The best husband on earth is a whisper and a joke and a piece of sand to Christ the husband. You take refuge in what Christ has done. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says about you, including you and certainly including the accuser. It is only when we realize by faith that we are already as righteous in Christ as God wants us to be. Already perfect, already accepted according to the book of Hebrews. It's only then when we believe this that we can bear fruit for God. We aren't bearing fruit for ourselves to build up an account that God can look at and thereby accept us and, and say that one is worthy of my love because he or she did enough. He loved me before I was born while I was still a sinner. That's a husband. Beloved bride of Christ, beloved Christian, receive the truth of the gospel this morning. Believe the words on the page. All right, let go of the controls. Stop trying to make Jesus love you. Stop. You are His, and He already does. Jesus has you now. And beloved, you and I are free. And anyone who receives Christ becomes as immediately as free to live like our husband is loaded.